Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. The topic today is data leakage. We're talking with Philip Alexander, who's an information security officer with a major U.S. banking institution. Phil, thanks so much, one, for bringing this topic to my attention, and two, of course, for speaking with me today. Tom, it's my pleasure, and uh, it's a topic that uh, I feel is very important in, in the field of data protection and information security overall. What do you find to be, in your job, your biggest data leakage challenges today? I think one of the biggest challenges would be a combination of uh, just the sheer number of end users and the variance in their personal awareness. And, of course, the larger the company, the more the challenge that is. And then just the myriad of different ways that data can be leaked out of a company. Now, those I think those are the two biggest challenges in trying to plug those holes. Now, one of the topics that I've heard you talk about some is data classification. Can you explain what this is and how you approach it? Sure. We don't look at data classification in what is the impact to your company if that data is to fall into inappropriate hands, you know, a hacker, uh, a competitor, what have you. Because a lot of people say, will think it's almost entirely customer data. Now, of course, you know, non-public customer information is generally classified as very sensitive, uh, particularly in certain combinations such as uh, an individual's name married with a, a social security number. And you know the social security number in itself would be sensitive. Certain combinations of data, if breached, uh, certain data disclosure laws do come into play. But I think it's also important to bear in mind that uh, if your company is involved in research and development, you know, your next generation gadget is also very sensitive. Uh, certainly if you're, if you're a publicly held company and about two, you know, in two months you're going to make a, a public announcement as far as performance, that data is also very sensitive. So this sort of underscores the point that not all data is created equally. Absolutely. And uh, I think it also points to uh, not only the importance of classification, but knowing where you send data lies. Uh, depending on the size of a very large network, it's not possible to plug every possible hole. So if you, you, know, you could quarantine or limit where your sense data is, you know, uh, data class or data protection becomes much easier. That's exactly what I wanted to ask you about, because you've mentioned it a couple of times now, where the data resides. Tell me about the challenges of determining exactly where it resides. How do you do it? There's actually a concept called return on security investment, or ROSI, and, you know, especially in the private sector. Um, you know, many large institutions just I mean, don't have the budgets to protect every possible system that could be out there and every possible uh, type of application. So a way to both reduce your data security costs and to increase your actual protective posture is to actually limit where sensitive data may reside. Now, that limitation could be based on several factors. It could be uh, geographic, only limiting it to, say, two areas. I say two for you know, emergency backup, you know, DCP purposes. And also limiting, limiting it on what type of servers that sensitive data can reside on. Um, it is easy to you know, put protective controls, whether it's encryption, authentication controls, et cetera, on a finite set of known systems, and much more found to trying to protect every possible system in existence today. Now, I've heard you and other so, security leaders, Phil, talk about endpoint security. It seems like it's a big deal. Can you describe endpoint security and how you finally button it down? Right. Endpoint security is generally considered and end users' uh, laptop, sometimes a workstation. It can also be considered 
their mobile device, which has a PDA or a BlackBerry. There are a lot of challenges there as well. Um, what a lot of companies are doing for laptops and workstations is configuring them in a way so that data is not stored locally, sometimes called the C drive, but rather the, the data is stored on a centralized network server that, that can have better protection. Now, a lot of data is lost when uh, laptops are lost or stolen. Uh, in order to protect against data leakage there, a lot of companies have opted to encrypt the entire hard drive. There's actually any number of uh, solutions out there in the market today that will do just that. Now, uh, laptops also come with what's called a USB drive. That's another source of potential data leakage because you put in, a, you know, thumb drives nowadays are both very expensive and very high capacity. Uh, disabling uh, USB devices or putting controls on them is only certain individuals can utilize them as another feature can be done. And also with CD-ROM drives, you know, to play your DVD or to load DVDs to make sure they're read-only and cannot actually burn or write data to those. And the same thing with, uh, with Blackberries, that they don't actually store data and to require some, you know, if not encryption, at least a password to access the device itself. So if your, your PDA is lost or stolen, uh, to minimize the effect of letting data to be on there. Well, it's interesting, Phil, and this is a question I've come to ask almost every security officer I talk to now. What's your policy at your institution about the USB drives? The USB drives, um, they're not, they're basically not to be used by the end user. Um, and so, you know, we, um, within the company I work at, we have uh, plenty of network storage for people to use, and, you know, if they run out of space for any reason. They can certainly request more, but because of the risk, you know, uh, you know, USB drives in town, thumb drives are easily lost. Uh, they're generally not very strongly protected. Um, use is discouraged. Now, something we are moving to, which would even uh, be more of a protective posture, is something called removable media encryption, or RME. Now, what that will do is the same encryption that protects uh, the, lap the laptop's hard drive will also protect data on a thumb drive that is stuck into the laptop. Interesting. This is a, I'm so sorry. That, I cut you off there a bit. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, Tom, that so this enables an employee to use their thumb drive, and that's part of the business model for, you know, for their productivity, yet it still protects them. Well, that sounds like a good compromise because, as you and I both know, that these thumb drives or thumb screws, as I've heard some security officers refer to, they're everywhere. They're ubiquitous. Right. Well, it's all the point to understand that, you know, we're in the nature of business. And security, where it's ever possible, to support that mission and not hamper it. Good point. Phil, as we know, through employees, through vendors, sensitive data leaves the corporate environment every day, every hour. What happens when this critical data does leave the, the controlled environment? What do you do about it? Well, if it's going to a vendor or a business partner, it's important, you know, before that engagement even gets full, you know, fully going, that uh, you know contracts are signed and that you know non-disclosure NDAs, and that your vendor knows your expectations as far as how to handle your data, how to dispose of it, who will have access to it, and you know, in, in the event of a breach, how you expect them to respond. Because in many instances, the data you give them is still your responsibility, so it's in your vested interest. You know, to, to um, ask all those critical questions. Um, 
And there are solutions, for example, one, you know, a big, a big uh, exit point for data is email. Now, there are solutions out there that, you know, such as PPI, public key infrastructure that, that can encrypt email. And uh, you know, one of the recommendations, depending on how, how often your employees deal with sensitive information, is to configure it to encrypt by default. That employee must make a conscious decision to send out data in the clear. You know, that's actually another layer of protection to help protect data as in some media. Now, Phil, with employees, as you know, there are a number of people that might take work home with them in the evening, might work at home a day. It just would seem to me that a lot of data is at a lot of risk when you just have employees that leave the, the structured environment. Right. And I caution companies, you know, if you're going to encourage people to take work home, um, my advice is to give them a company-configured system to work off of, whether it's a workstation, you know, a tower-type configuration, or a laptop. Because then you know the controls are in place. Um, I, I discourage companies from allowing employees to work off their home computer. Home computer is truly an unknown, and in most cases, you know, a home computer is not configured to the to a standard of, say, a bank or, or, or a credit card issuing company is. So there's a lot of risk there. I think it's really um, unwise to allow. No, sounds smart. One of the topics that comes up is data disposal because you retire machines, employees come and go from companies. What are some of the best practices that, that you recommend in terms of data disposal? Right. Well, data disposal can actually fall in, into two categories. I'll hit them both very quickly. One could be data on paper. And, and some people, you know, extensive data can be printed out as well. And how do you make sure that the sensitive data on paper is, is uh, properly disposed? Well, one is obviously a shredder. The second one would be a secure disposal bin, which is basically a locked garbage can with a, uh, a slit in it wide enough for paper, but you so you can't grab it out. I actually recommend what's called a wet-dry policy. So, you know, things such as apple cores, banana peels, and things like that can be tossed into a regular open trash can like you might find in your desk. But if it's printed paper, you put it in, you just securely dispose of it. This way, you know, you're not trying to have, you know, 50,000 or 100,000 of your employees individually decide exactly what printed data may or may not be sensitive. Now, to the other question, as far as um, equipment itself, uh, laptops, it could be servers, it could even be multifunction like uh, printers and office machines that sometimes are uh, hard drive enabled as well. There are actually companies on the market today that will secure dispose of them. Because you want to make sure the data on those hard drives are erased to a point where they can't be recovered. Sometimes the term is called degaussing. It's a scientific term for actually irrevocably removing the data. Frankly, it sounds like some good practices that people could practice at home and not just in the office. All right, well, I you know I work from home quite a bit and have a very large shredder sitting not five feet from me that I use. That no, that's smart. Phil, this is a topic I think we could talk about at length, and I hope we get the chance to at some point soon. But for an institution that maybe is just really starting to realize and tackle this whole issue of data leakage, what's a good starting point to, to assess their needs? I think the first step is, depending on what business you're in, is to look at what regulations that, that you are bound by, that you are governed by. Because that will serve as, as a guiding point on to help you classify your data. And then it's important not only actually classify your data, but know where it resides, both within your organization and, of course, outside your organization. You know, you know, off-site backup, 
then the relationship, business partners, et cetera, then who has access. Because if you don't know, you know, where your sense of data, what your sense of data is and where it relies, it's really difficult to actually start forming an appropriate uh, data linkage policy. Good advice, Phil. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insight today. Well, Tom, it's been my pleasure. And again, I hope I get a chance to talk about this at length sometime soon. Okay, that would uh, be my pleasure. We've been talking with Philip Alexander. The topic is data leakage. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.